Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hi, welcome to Impact the World. Today's guest is Mariam Hasnar. Mariam's work focuses on a range of topics, everything from self-love, self-care, boundaries. She has a school, the New Earth Mystery School, and her real passion is plant medicine and bringing that wisdom back into our modern day society. So it was a pleasure to get to speak to Mariam. I hope you enjoy the show. You can find her work at mariamhasnar.com. Links, as ever, will be in the show notes. Enjoy. Mariam, welcome to the show. It is awesome to have you here, and it is lovely to get to have this conversation with you. So we met on a retreat. We did. We did. We did in beautiful Costa Rica. And when we first met, I didn't know about your work at all. So it was a real delight for me to go and see, at that time, specifically what I saw was all of your writings and your quotes and your paragraphs, your inspirations and your teachings that you were putting out on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm, I'm just curious, like, we're going to kind of go all over the shop with what you do in this conversation, but... Is writing something that you have had in you since an early age? Because to me, you're such a, a word magician. Hmm. It's making me think about when I was younger and my mom would always hand me journals and I would never use them. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a part of me that wants to say, no, it wasn't always the case. Um, so I would say actively, I really started writing in the past 10, 15 years. Um, prior to that, it wasn't a tool that I really utilized effectively. Um, I always was interested in language, but I don't think that I took advantage of really like sitting down and putting my thoughts on paper um, and, and seeing you know, how they could change and shift and unfold into a lot of different layers and dimensions. Um, that's definitely newer for me. Mm. I was on your homepage this morning in prep for seeing you today, and you have this paragraph there, and it says, do you have stars in your mouth? Yes, I tell him, come see, will I die? He asked, yes, I tell him every time. Beautiful. And it completely draws you in. Tell me about that. What I mean, that has its own meaning to me, but I'm curious where that came from. That actually came from someone else's writing. That's actually not my writing. That is a poem that I found on, I want to say Tumblr, maybe? 15 years ago, what I did is I changed the pronouns because the pronouns were different. Um, so it was a rendition of someone else's writing. And I'm not even familiar with 
who the writer is or where it came from. Um, and for me, it was, it really spoke to, at the time, several relationships that I had just been in for sure. Um, but yeah, that actually is not my quote. Well, it's good. <laughs> it's good, right? But, but for me, knowing your work, it, it, the thing that really struck me was, yes, I tell him every time. So in that case, mm -hmm. I'm going to jump to one of my favorite posts of yours. And this was something you shared um, when it was your son's 14th birthday. Mm. And you, you share in this post how your son and becoming a mother has been like one of the greatest initiations of your life. And led to so much of your learning and exploring and, and everything. But I loved this paragraph. It was, a, it was a big post, but you wrote, in a very real way, I have been engaged in this work of transformation and liberation for the last 10 years. The five years prior, I was doing the work, but was BSing myself, if I'm being radically honest. I have seen through my own lived experiences how profound the impact can be when applied with honesty, humility, commitment, courage, integrity, compassion, vulnerability, and deep wisdom. That phase when I was not truly committed was important because it taught me how deep the veils of delusions and self-deception can be. I'm thankful that I know how to discern the difference, both in myself and others. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that is you, for sure. That's me. And that thread runs through so much of what you do. Could you elaborate a little bit on that for people who are perhaps new to you in your work? Absolutely. Um, there, there is a teaching from my, my um, spiritual lineage, and it talks about um, when the ego becomes spiritualized. And one of the things that how I understand the spiritual path is that the personality or the false self goes through many phases of evolution and transformation that bring us closer to who we really are. Because before that, we're really operating from this identity that is an amalgamation of who our parents needed us to be, who society told us we're allowed to be, um, what we thought maybe would bring us happiness, um, trying to live up to certain ideals, you know, all of that. And that can be so far from who we are. And I think that what happens often is we are trying to create a life from this false sense of self. And we keep hitting potentially these benchmarks, these achievements. And we think, you know, someday in the future when I've achieved this or when I have this or when this happens, I'll be able to have that feeling that I think that I'm looking for. And I think that that's part of the deception. Um, and instead, for me, what happened is I, I did that for a while. And then I realized I'm already my true self. It's these veils and layers of amnesia and um, deception that get overlaid that need to be removed in order for me to be able to emerge as my true self, right? So this is where some of those 
um, sort of classic, classic quotes of um, everything is within, you are what you're seeking. I think this for me is sort of the backstory of what those really mean. And although I had heard those sayings before, it wasn't my lived experience until I actually went through it and I understood what I what I thought I was searching for and then encountering what I actually thought I was searching for and realizing it was always within that I was under able to understand the journey and the different ways that we can get distracted on the path, lost on the path, misunderstand what the path is. And there was a point that I remember that I said to myself, um, you know, I could do this as like a hobby and reach certain levels of awakening and transformation, or I can really commit and, and say, this is really what my life is dedicated to. And I, and, and when that happened, I made the oath that, um, anything in my life that I was seeking that wasn't it to slam the door in my face. Like I made an agreement with the universe. If I'm seeking something that is not really the true thing, slam the door in my face. Because I really understood that self-deception um, and the layers of the veil that operate here. Once I made that commitment, I was all in. And, um, and that's when everything really shifted. Mm. And when was that? That was 10, 10, yeah, it was 10 years ago. Um, at this point, I had a really profound um, spiritual awakening. I, I had a series of sort of mystical experiences and awakening. Um, and then I had gotten that cosmic wake up call. <laughs> it's time. Um, and then from that place is when I really understood the level of commitment that it was going to take. And that meant that relationships might have to go, things that I think I want might have to go. I was going to have to confront um, some of the most deep-rooted patterns, ancestral patterns, um, karmic patterns, agreements that I, that I had made. I was going to have to confront everything. And I said, yes, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> right yeah and you you talked about your you know you mentioned ancestry you talked about your lineage how active was spirituality in your childhood as part of what you were being taught and shown so it was super active um both my parents are spiritual leaders so i was born and raised in a in an actually very spiritual community um where my parents were leaders in the community so there was a lot of pressure on me to, in the way that I was brought up, to, to definitely perform in a certain way, um, to be, to be a, a shining example mm. of all the things, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember at that time not really understanding. I remember asking well, why do we fast? Well, why do we do this? Well, why do we do that? And being told, um, you know, in a way like pretty dogmatic types of answers, oh, we do it because it's prescribed. You know, this is this is the technology. This is the this is the prescription of 
of us being on this path and being devoted. Um, and that didn't really resonate for me. So there was absolutely a period of time in my life where I rebelled. I didn't want anything to do with it. But what I found is that there were certain practices and principles that I could access because they were part of my, you know, neurology, right? I was already wired to be able to drop in and do certain things. And um, I was able to take advantage of that. And I was also able to take advantage of some of the, the, the truths, the wisdoms, the technologies, the frameworks, for example, I remember being super young and my mom saying to me, synchronicity is when the universe is letting you know you're where you're supposed to be. So my whole life I've known about synchronicity. So when you know about synchronicity your whole life, of course, like chance encounters, things that feel fated, destiny, kismet, um, soulmates, like all of that stuff was already part of my, my paradigm. Um, so I did find myself really like being able to rest into a lot of that. And then what happened is later in life when I felt called back to really like have this journey, it looked completely different than what my parents did and what they were up to. Um, a big thing for me is I remember being a very intuitive child. I remember having imaginary friends, um, being, being a very clear channel as a child. And that was something that was not acknowledged. It was not talked about. Um, and oftentimes what would happen is I would be in this, in this position where I was intuitively sensing and feeling and knowing things and the caretakers or the adults would contradict what I was picking up on. And so what do we normally do at that time is, you know, there's a part of us purely from survival that we say, I need to choose to fall in line with what I'm being told is the truth, is real, is valid. And that means that I'm going to suppress this part of myself in order to be able to be loved, right? From the mind of a child, that's just what happens. Um, so when my spiritual gift started to come back online, um, I really understood that I was going to need to look outside of my primary lineage that I was raised in and find other systems that were intact, other lineages that did speak to it more. Um, so that was a big part of my journey for sure is finding those teachers that really resonated with me those mentors that could help me understand what does this mean? Um, and then interestingly enough, what happened is when I went back and I re-examined a lot of the stories, a lot of the scriptures, a lot of the sacred texts, it's all there. They were all channels. They were channels, they were mediums, um, they did alchemy, right? It was all there, but it just wasn't, talked about in in that way you know what i love about what you're saying is is a couple of things like number one so for me i wasn't raised even though i now you know and i tell my mom this she's intuitive but mm. she did not know she was intuitive and it's not something she would really claim about herself in a big way 
but I think in a weird way, me having this now, you know, public role in, yeah. in bringing that in, I think it's given a certain level of permission in my family for some of that to be talked about. And just the time, you know, 2020 is very different to <laughs> 1980, 1990, 2000. <laughs> I love hearing for you that you were raised in a spiritual community, which I think is a lot of people's dream. I think, you know, when we're telling ourselves the victim story about our childhood, mm. it can often be of only my parents were this, that or the other. Or, you know, I think we can easily fall into that as we're going through our layers of programming. So I think it's really great to hear that your parents were spiritual leaders. <laughs> and of course, of course, you're you still have to go and find who you are and have your yeah. hero's journey and recognize that underneath the shade of their branches, you were able to grow certain things, but mm -hmm. you were always going to have to go off and, you know, be activated by the sun yourself so that you could really reveal who you were. And so I think that's a really important thing. But also one of the things I've often challenged people on is when they'll say to me, oh, I wish I was in a spiritual relationship, like a relationship with a spiritual person. And I'm always like, really? Because there, okay. there are a million different beliefs in the spiritual community. Like find the person who is compatible with you sure. and that will be the spiritual relationship. They may, they may not be into Reiki at all. And that might be the best thing you could ever have asked for, you know? So I, I love hearing you say this. Yeah, I think um, actually my upbringing was um, a a source of a lot of um, shame for me for a really long time. Um, because if you remember, spirituality wasn't cool <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the things that I thought, believed, my experiences, things that I, you know, came, came up in, um, I didn't share them. It was like a living a double life. I wanted to be normal. Right. I just, that, 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 yeah. again, from the, from, the mind of right, like a young child, I'm like, I just, I just want to get away from that stuff, right? Um, and you know, also both my parents were academics. Um, my mother at one point was a Har um, Harvard professor at the Harvard Divinity School, and very public. Um, so I remember also this feeling of um, people being aware of who my parents were. Um, and, and, and thinking that they knew what that meant and me having a very different relationship with my parents, um, seeing a lot of the shadow, um, a lot of the unconscious stuff that was, was unacknowledged and seeing what came along with that version of having a public persona, but having different things happen, let's say at home, um, and th that piece around really being expected to play into that um of pre presenting this perfect version of what it is and not feeling that that was what i was experiencing um feeling very diminished often feeling very invalidated and so um but but again um two parents who were very aware of what their path was and so what i had to contend with is outside authority so you'll hear that theme throughout a lot of my work as well of how we make certain people the authority, whether it be the Harvard professor or the, the online guru or the spiritual teacher. And so I really deconstruct a lot of worship culture um, because of my firsthand experience of 
having the parents that I had and seeing that there was so much complexity and a lot of times that them not having permission to be their whole self and me knowing for me, rather than it looking a certain way to the outside world, actually, I would rather clean up what's in my closet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and it's funny, one of my favorite things that I saw on your, um, <laughs> your Instagram uh, when I was just scrolling through the last few days, I'm so happy I'm not for everyone. I was like, God, I wish someone had been able to teach and ingrain that into me when I was 20, because I would have saved myself like 12 years of suffering in weird relationships. You know, I'm so happy I'm not for everyone. I was like, hallelujah, man. What a relief. I thought that as a kid. Isn't it just a relief? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a relief. And what I like about it as well is, um, you know, I'm really into like, like refining our energy, right? I'm so happy not for everyone isn't saying, it's not pushing against anything. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Just, I'm not for you, right? It's, it's, I trust resonance and therefore I trust dissonance. I trust when something is not an energetic match. Another thing I say is I don't match energy. I harmonize frequencies. So for me, that means I get to have my own experience. I get to be where I'm at and the timeline I'm at. You get to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And and I don't have to be where you are, but we can harmonize, right? But I'm not going to overly attune to you. For me, that is a big piece of my identity as, as what I call a retired empath, is that I don't overly attune to other people. I don't bring other people's energy into my energy field through enmeshing, through the empath hug, to the point where I forget who I am, because that was my whole experience growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm a fellow retired empath, so I get it. And that's why I love it, because you could have said, it's okay, I'm not for everyone. Mm. <laughs> Which is kind of like the, that's the first step. That's like, you know, you turned up at the recovery meeting and you realize you have a problem and it's like, I'm going to ingrain that it's okay. I'm so happy I'm not for everyone is we're celebrating that we've been free of it for 10 years. That's kind of how I... That's how I feel it and interpret it. But anyway, I love it. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to. It's funny. This. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. Actually, I am. Rather than trying to trust people, learn to trust mm-hmm. yourself enough to know when people are being trustworthy. Rather than trying to trust people, learn to trust yourself enough to know when people are being trustworthy and. Something you said a moment ago, you know, you talked about I'm, you help deconstruct worship culture. I, I'm someone who came up through self-growth with a mm. side dish of new age mm. and ended up being a channeler, which is like super new age. But I was always a little mm. bit like, I'm not sure I agree with everything in the new age culture because mm-hmm. it, it feels a bit bypassy to me, mm-hmm. some of it. Sure. So I often call myself new age rehab because, you know, I've definitely got feet on the you ground are, you are. and in here and, a, and an eye up here and I'm on the ground too and for me that's that's my path integration like how can we bridge the two worlds and, and let this world be useful to us here so that we can expand what's here so that's another great quote because I often talk about the giving our power away or worship that we that we do in spirituality when we're new to spirituality and because we've never been offered the chance to learn anything about it, 
we give all our power away to the slightly dodgy healer who might have some talent as a healer, but also has a whole load of personality issues that are also coming through the session. And you just swallow all of it because you're open because you think, oh, this is spirituality. This person's a healer. I know nothing. So I love this. Rather than trying to trust people, (laughs) learn to trust yourself enough to know when people are being trustworthy. Yeah. You know, my guys are funny. Uh, They like to wake me up in the middle of the night with quotes like that. That was a middle of the night one. Um, I wrote it down. I often, you know, when I start my day and I do my ritual, then I'll look in my notes and say, what did they give me last night? <laughs> and that was definitely one of those. Um, and I, and, and they are wordsmiths, right? As much as, as much as how I translate what they, they download me with, um, a, a significant part of our relationship is finding the right language. Mm. That's definitely something that, um, you know, they'll give me words that I don't even know what they mean. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll have to look them up. Um, but the, the the play on words there, that's their handiwork. <laughs> right. But it, it, it for me, that's discernment. Um, and I think also a big piece um, for me because I kind of grew up in a bubble. Um, and I grew up also, another thing I'll note is that I, I grew up, I wasn't allowed to watch television. Um, I didn't watch mainstream movies. I didn't listen, I wasn't allowed to listen to mainstream music. Um, so I was quite sheltered from mainstream culture. Um, and that was intentional. And as I say, I grew up in this like community where we were in our own bubble, right? Sure, there were lots of things that happened and issues and all of that. But what didn't happen is a lot of the dominant matrix programming. Um, I didn't receive that. I received a lot of the sort of quintessential spiritual religious programming that I learned to like, you know, um, deprogram. But I didn't receive some of the other programming um, things I talk about, like toxic romance culture, right? So I, I I didn't understand a lot of the, like the notebook style movie mindset. I, I just never got that programming. Um, so it was really easy for me to see uh, throughout my life that a lot of people were running those, those, um, that, those programs. Um, but one thing that I did experience was feeling really naive because I grew up really sheltered, um, I experienced when I sort of like stepped into the real world, I felt very naive. I was very open. What are you doing, Mary? I'm just curious. I went, so I went to, so um, I went to private school. Actually, my dad founded private schools. So I went to the private school, one of the private schools that my dad was the founder of within this community. And then I started going to public school and middle school age. Okay. I didn't know anything about bullying. I didn't know about um, like cool kid culture. And just to clarify for Europeans, middle school age is? Uh, Seventh and eighth grade. Which age, and your age would be? Um, What is it like? 12, 13. Okay. Cause it's a little different. The systems in the UK. So yeah. Yeah. 13. Sure. Yeah. 
Okay. So, in, and and again, if you think about if you if you think about how formative middle school. Yeah. <laughs> or or it's an initiation like. Oh, it's such that, an initiation. That was the initiation five years? It was such an initiation, and I was thrown right into it, and I was utterly unprepared. Nothing had prepared me for it. So I, you know, received my fair share of like the mean girl tropes and the this and the that. And um, I just remember that I didn't fit in. Mm. You know, my name was different. People were like, what's your name? You know, um, my culture was different. People thought my family was weird. Um, you know, I didn't know music. I didn't, right? So I, I didn't, I didn't have that. Um, I had another, a different thing that people were curious about and sort of interested in and drawn to, um, but they certainly didn't understand it. And um, so I, I was extremely naive. Even prior to that, I was very naive. Um, I think it had, I think that it had something to do with my own, like, ethereal kind of cosmic yeah. nature on a soul level totally. um that even i remember my siblings uh to tell you a story of kind of how it worked my siblings told me that my older sister was an alien i was like oh sure yeah i was like oh yeah of course and then um my older sister um ended up writing a report on how they had convinced me for years, like a, something for school had convinced me for years that she was an alien. But the best part was that one day they said, remember when we convinced you that she was an alien? And I was like, wait a minute, she's not? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was still fully, like, I still was fully bought into the lie. Yeah. Because for me, that was, I was like, oh, sure. Yeah. Right, uh, that's, that makes total sense to me. And they, and they were confiding in me and, and my older brother who I really trusted was in on it. So I was like, well, if he's saying it, then it has to be true. So, you know, that sort of thing um, throughout my whole life, not being able to see, you know, who people were showing up as seeing their higher self and saying, Oh, this person is, you know, um, has a really like beautiful heart, even though it's not open. Yeah, and even though their behavior isn't always doing that, it's like, yeah. Oh, so I got taken advantage of and used and, you know, like all of that stuff. And what I knew was that I didn't want to shut my heart down. So I was like, okay, what are my other options? Oh, we learned discernment. <laughs> right? Um, so all that to say, it's been very important for me to hone my ability to track people's energy um, and to, because, you know, for an example, there's a distinction between when someone is lying to you and when someone is lying to themselves. Absolutely. And if you don't know how to read subtle energy, if someone is lying to themselves, the way you're hearing it is they're telling the truth mm -hmm. because they're not lying to you they're actually not, a, they're not self-aware. So I needed to be able to figure out a better system that was going to help me that was bigger than trusting people. Yes. And it wasn't not trusting people. 
Yes. It was just that there's something else here to do and a different way to see through, to be able to understand where people are. And I love it because it just, again, brings us back to that kind of timeless truth, which is we often end up teaching those of us that spend some of our time in the role of teacher and of course most of our time as students <laughs> of the earth and being a human and all that stuff um teaching what we needed to know oh so you know one of the things that i'm curious about talking to you today is when you took your work online and what year was that by the way when you first put started putting stuff out on twitter guess it was 2009. Yeah, because that was where I think you told me your, your following started to grow first, right? Yeah. Twitter was the seed Definitely. of it all. So obviously you were compelled to do it. Yeah. Did any part of you, like, were you hesitant? Were you worried about what your parents might think? I mean, I'm just curious that you, you know, you, this was the beginning of you becoming a leader of your own work and your own teachings, whether you knew it at the time or not. What was your personality uh, having to go through in order to let that happen? Yeah, whew. try to condense it. Um, and I only ask you that question because I yeah. know many people watch this show because they're either doing similar things or they're inspired to do their thing in the world. So it's always fascinating mm -hmm. to me to, for us to share those pieces of our journey. Absolutely. Um, it was definitely orchestrated. <laughs> if, if, and I think my guides knew this, if they had shown me the full version, I would have said no. So they only showed me enough to, to the, get to the next step, to the next and the next. So um, something as playful and light as, oh, just start posting on Twitter, right? Um, and at the time, honestly, part of what I was doing was trying to find other people. Mm -hmm. So part of what I was doing was putting out a signal. Mm. Who's that? Who else is awake? <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, uh, in a way, some of what I would share would sound cryptic, would be a little codified, because it was sort of meant to be specific enough that the people that were tuning into the same things that I was tuning into would pick up on it but not so much that I just spelled it out yeah. um, in, in, in that way. Um, and I would definitely say that I felt compelled to share that we were in the beginning phases of a planetary shift. For sure. Um, that was something that felt very clear that I wanted to say, um, I remember when I started sharing it with my friends, my friends kind of just had this glazed over look um, at the time of they had no idea what I was talking about. And I had made a cross country move from the East Coast to California, Northern California. Um, so I was still hadn't really found community in California. And then when I was going back to the East Coast in Philadelphia, where I had lived for many years, I was excited to share with my friends because I assumed they're going to get it and they didn't get it at all. <laughs> they kind of just wanted to, I mean, they love me to death, mm -hmm. um, but they kind of just wanted to do the same stuff we always did, which was hang out and have fun. And, you know, and it, they weren't looking for um, 
that type of path. They weren't on that path. They hadn't been called to any sort of path in that way. Um, now that's different, um, right? And I have had them say, I remember when you told me and now I get it, right? Yeah. Um, but but I knew there had to be others. That's what I knew. So I said, you know, how can I find them? And I just thought um, online, social media. So I started to share things. And then for me, what happened is I definitely never had any plan that this is what I was going to do. It was just, um, I was still working my matrix job. I like to say it. Mm -hmm. And what was your matrix job at the time? Um, I actually, so I have a, I have a long history, um, as work of working in, um, as a stylist, working in retail. I was a professional dancer for 10 years. I was a makeup artist. So I was in the creative field, yeah. um, sort of, and always self-expressive. Um, so that was, that piece was great. That part of my personality that didn't wasn't nurtured when I was younger, that really flourished in my young adult years. Um, my undergraduate degree was um, in education. So I do have a background in education. Um, I was really interested in early childhood development and special ed. I thought that I was going to um, work with underprivileged communities, marginalized communities. I minored in African-American studies. So I was really interested in the way that um, young Black children were being mislabeled in the school system. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I was also really interested in special needs children. So that was where I was really drawn. Um, and volunteering was such a big part of my childhood. Um, I have both an aunt and a step-parent who both were special ed teachers. So I had a lot of experience working with children, volunteering with children in communities that had special needs. So that felt very natural for me. Um, later, I realized that my unique version of it was working with people who were highly sensitive and who were extra sensories. So it still all kind of came in and made sense, but that didn't all unfold immediately, of course, what happened is that I was, all the pieces were there. That's what I mean to say. Um, but how they came together, I started working really um, intimately with um, plant medicine, specifically the type of medicine that is for healing the nervous system. I have a child who is highly sensitive and I was learning what that means to be a highly sensitive in the world, both for him and for myself how to advocate for him, and how much of the way that we interact with our environment has to do with our very um, hair trigger sensitive nervous system. So I was learning all about um, sound frequencies, um, different types of healing modalities. So as I was talking about this awakening, my life was also unfolding in a way where I was really talking about being a highly sensitive. Um, I was referring to it as being an empath for a period of time because that was the best like word in the, in the, you know, that came to me. Um, and then when that word entered the mainstream lexicon, it took on a completely different mm. quality that I didn't resonate with anymore. So I started talking about plants. Um, and at some point, 
people were really interested in the plant medicine that I was making. I was working a lot with how we can reprogram the limbic brain using aromatherapy and using scent. Um, so I was doing a lot of really cool things with that for myself, for my child and sharing that online. And then I decided that I was going to create these beautiful plant medicine offerings. And I'll tell you again, never having had the full vision of what it would become for me, actually what it was, was an excuse to play with new creations, yeah, you know, right? Because if, if I'm only making it for myself, there's only been so much range that I might fall into. But if I was speaking to like a greater collective need, I could then go to where I go to get my, you know, my beautiful plant allies. And I say, okay, this month I told people I'm going to create a toolkit that is for abundance. What does abundance smell like? What does abundance feel like? So even if I had 10 people that had pre-ordered the kit, I now had like the momentum and the resource to go yeah. create this, this, you know, this little beautiful toolkit. So that grew. People really were into my creations. I never wrote any recipes down because it was just for play. Mm. I just every month intuitively I would have the theme I would go the first one I ever did was lucid dreaming because I'm a big dreamer mm. I said okay this is my excuse to go play with lucid dreaming herbs and teas and tinctures um and so I did that and then I would present my findings to people and I and, and that was really fun then from there um still tweeting um and sharing about that still sharing about the awakening, but people started to really ask me if I would do one-on-one sessions. And that was not something that I ever had any plan to do. I, I'm like, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a coach. I just, I don't know what I would do. And then um, I got kicked out of my matrix job. Spirit said, you're going to push I love in. how that works when you're it's not, time. Like, in. if you ain't leaving, we're moving you out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Completely. So that, that timeline collapsed and um, <laughs> under my feet. And then I said, okay, I'll just do this until I get another job. Mm-hmm. And then when I shared online that I was open to do sessions, it was just donation. I just told people, yeah. you know, that's you, how I started too. I always say that's the best thing you can do to start. Just get out there and practice. Just and whatever you think. Take the pressure off everybody. You, the customer, everything. Yeah. Absolutely. And, it, and because it was an experiment. I said, I, exactly. I, don't, I don't even know how this is going to go. And what I realized is like, I'm great at this. <laughs> like, I'm really good at this. Um, so from there, what happened is um, I decided that I wanted to put more time into sort of like creatively, creatively visualizing what I wanted to see happen. Mm. And so I started to, and I didn't know this at the time, but I started to really like create the new timeline of, of what it was going to be. So through the guidance of my future higher self that had more wisdom than me, I was kind of tuning into like, what do I want it to feel like? And I had said, I want whatever I do to feel like being on the beach. I just, that's all I knew. I said, I wanted to feel like being on the beach. Um, and shortly after a friend of mine, 
um, asked me if I would be open to leading a retreat with her. And one of the things we we're going to do is take the group on trips to the beach. And we would do circles and, and I was like, okay, okay, this is, this is being orchestrated. Um, and so from that, I launched into three years of doing a wellness tour. Um, that was beautiful. At this point, I'm like half in, half out still. Um, and why I say that is because for me, the wellness industry is not, is not where I belong. Um, it's definitely not my thing. I realized that really quickly once I got in there. I realized that I don't resonate with the self-help world, the self-improvement world. You know, none of these things really felt right. Um, and there wasn't something that felt clear and aligned. And then, of course, I got the vision. The vision was that I was going to have a school for X-Men. <laughs> New Earth Mystery School, right? And then I said, same thing. Um, I'm just going to start it, even if it's only 10 people. And what I needed from that was a place where I could be my full self. Yeah. You know, if I wanted to talk about, um, you know, Lyran feline beings or Lemuria or Atlanta, you know, if I wanted to talk about any of those things, the wellness world was not there, is not the place. Um, and I, that feeling of like, needing to become something different or needing to hide certain parts of myself, just exhausting. Um, and it wasn't feeling good. Well, and you're, you know, you, you to me are a celebrant and, and an avatar of being outside the matrix. And I think what, what's happening in the self-help world and the spiritual world and the wellness world is the matrix is catching up a little bit with those topics, but therefore there's like an intersection happening between the old and Mm -hmm. And what perhaps, you know, some of us who've been on the path for a while, like for me, I've been on the path 25 years, but there might be someone listening to or watching this going, I've been on it for like 65. Sure. Um, I think for those of us who were always used to having to go to the fringes and be the outsiders, mm -hmm. it's interesting watching it. I'm really happy it's happening, but mm -hmm. it's not going to be the place for someone who is more seasoned or who knows who they are and what they're, what they're symbolizing. You know, I don't, I don't think any of us who had to go outside the box to find this stuff are going to want to have to start putting a box around it unless no. it's a box that, that feels right to us. By the way, speaking of boxes, your kits are amazing. Because <laughs> when, when one came into our house for Stephen uh, a couple of months ago, I think it was, I was like, this is really cool. And I, I love that you have that range with your, yeah. you know, your, your, your phrase for your work. Uh, one of them is vibrational medicine. And I like that. You're bringing in the physical through the kits. Yeah. You have the word medicine. You have your teachings and your classes and and the healing side and mm -hmm. and and the plant medicine, which I still laugh about when you told me you did plant medicine, partly because we were in Blue Spirit, Costa Rica, which is, <laughs> has a lot of ayahuasca retreats, and also because ayahuasca is like the new hip thing. Sure. I just assumed you were talking about ayahuasca. I was like, yeah. ayahuasca, and you were like, no, no, not ayahuasca, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, my relationship with like my plant allies, a lot of my, a lot of my guys are elementals, the fairies, the, you know, which is clear in your energy, which is cool. Yeah. I, you know, it's what that, 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 re, that signature is, is, is potent. It's lovely. Yeah. And I think for me, like there, 
truly, truly, profoundly some of my greatest teachers. You know, through this time of being home, um, I have been dedicated to my garden and growing um, the plant allies that I use a lot of specifically for as a highly sensitive um, and a lot of the, you know, alchemy and transformational work I do, I was always working with them, um, but sourcing them elsewhere. And I knew that part of my curriculum, and I say that I say working with plants is a life, lifelong curriculum, <laughs> if not lifetimes long, um, because I know that I do access some of this relationship from other lifetimes, but specifically growing them and seeing and being able to communicate with them every day, being able to bring flowers from my garden into my home to make medicine with. I mean, for me, it's just, there's, there's nothing else like it. Um, and it's, 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 I really appreciate that it's been a, a many years journey from what I shared that how I started to where I am now to where I see things going, which for me is really about teaching people about earth stewardship and about how to be in this relationship with the earth. And I think for a lot of people that have that very cosmic um, energy signature, right? Kind of, yeah. you know, more, more uh, cosmic um, identity, realizing that like we're here on earth for a reason, there's specific medicine here. For me, I realized one of my most um, important soul agreements is this agreement with this body that doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the earth and, and understanding that there are also, uh, there's ancestral medicine in this body and me as a being, right, is, is not just this body and there is a relationship that is very intimate that is very important for me to acknowledge. And there's so much, so much wisdom in our bodies that we don't even know how to access, that we don't even know how to use. Our bodies know how to heal themselves. You know, we're still learning how to turn it on and having, and when I say being highly sensitive, I recognize that it's that this body is sensitive, you know, and, um, and, and what does that mean and what does it need? And, uh, a lot of that can be informed through being in relationship with plants. Hmm. There's such clear, there's such clear tuning forks, you know, and what's beautiful about flowers is that they are vibrational medicine. They are energetic medicine. And a lot of times what happens with people not being able to fully incarnate is that there is, um, tension or contradiction between who we are on a soul level and the personality. Um, and so what flower essence do is it actually helps create a bridge between the human identity and your more soul self so that that can start to come into balance and union. And um, Edward Bach, who is, you know, one of the core teachers of flower medicine, talked about how what illness is from the from the that perspective and it's about that misalignment with the soul and the personality and it's funny I, I was introduced to back flower remedies when I was about 19 years old and at the time 
I didn't really know many people who use them. And I love seeing how much more prevalent it has become. Mm -hmm. One store, I, I used to have to like go across town to get stuff. And I used to, I used to really love all those prescriptions and finding the right prescription. And yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And there's just, and even if it's not taking an internal medicine, just even sitting with a flower and understanding that, you know, each of the flowers is so unique. None of the flowers are supposed to be like the other flower. There's just so much metaphor for the human experience in the plant and the animal kingdom as well. Um, but there's so much, there's so much wisdom that hasn't been infiltrated. Yeah. Because that's the thing that you were saying about, you know, the well, I call it the wellness industrial complex now. Um, the wellness industry, you know, a lot of these industries is they get infiltrated. And what that means is that they get distorted. And then some of the people who are prominent and well-known, they become double agents, right? That's sort of the game in the matrix. Um, and with nature, it can't be distorted. Mm. So there's a very pure template for what grace looks like, what integrity looks like, um, what empathy looks like. Because once these things become popular, there's almost automatically this attempt to sort of use them in a way where it's distorted and use them in a way where, again, that outside authority piece, where we give our power away, where we give our sovereignty away, that starts to come in. And I've seen that with um, empathy becoming the new buzzword, the new buzz term, and, and how the way that empathy is sold and it's packaged in the mainstream is um, it, it doesn't feel for me the direction that I'm interested in going in. But when I look at plant allies, like a plant that I love, Centauri, which is specifically for people that have a hard time saying no and that have a hard time having energetic boundaries. And when you look at how the flower itself, we did a, in one of my courses, we looked at um, some of the flower, some of the flower essences through Kirlian photography, the actual picture of the aura of this flower, it doesn't have any boundaries. It actually doesn't have any energetic boundaries. There's actually a flower that can teach you how to attune to the appropriate way to have your boundaries. So when I say that there's templates there, it's not even a metaphoric. It's very literal. Mm -hmm. The, the mirroring and it, and it's interesting because when I think of the mirroring that 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 exists for us in nature that's that's primal and that's raw and we're talking about the matrix and agendas and things it you know it is interesting that we're in this time where uh, the, the agendas certain aspects of the agendas want to rid us of the mm. natural world and institutionalize exactly. us away from the natural world. So exactly. it's more important than ever. But but I, I want to just throw one thing in because I'm, you know, and I'm conscious we probably got, I'm going to ask you probably one more thing after this. But I think this is important because if anyone is listening and I can just feel some people listening going, oh yeah, nature's important, but I live in this tiny apartment sure. in the middle of the city. And that was my story for a long time. One of the things that my guides taught me like 15 years ago, they were like, 
a plant in your room mm -hmm. is powerful. And if you connect with it, y y is it the same as being in a forest? Not necessarily, but if you okay. connect with it and you're conscious with it and you, you surround your environment with whatever aspects of nature you can bring in, it's really powerful. And I'm aware as we're talking to you, we have some of your friends behind you. We have the ones inside the house. Mm -hmm. We have the ones outside the window. Sure. Um, is that is that is that a truth for you too, Mariam? Or is there anything else you could perhaps yeah. offer to someone who's going, oh my God, I need more nature in my life, but I don't quite know how I'm going to do that right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that the, the, the physical piece of being in nature, being with plants, um, that is absolutely one component that I think that is important that I would love to see more people weave into their life as much as possible. Um, I, I, I have been in the practice when I decided that I was going to do the tour. One of the things that I felt that was very important for me, because the first year we were going to sort of more major cities. And at that time, I was still unsure of like how I was running my energy and my aura of being in big cities, if that, how that was going to feel for me. Yeah. The traffic and the noise and all of that. So one thing that was essential for me is every time that we had a different location is looking for a park, yes. whether it be a nature center, um, a tea house, uh, a, you know, um, horticulture center, very easy to find online. You can spend the day in nature within the city. That's an option. However, even if not more important than that, is actually connecting with the energies of nature. So that means every day connecting in with the grounding core to the earth itself and starting to be in that conversation with the earth because we're all on the earth, right? And so... Um, asking the earth to, to be able to transmute certain things, utilizing the earth as a resource to be able to release certain things, to ask for certain things, to be able to even have the earth acknowledge and validate us. Yeah. Um, that doesn't have to happen by being anywhere different than where you are. It does require um, just maybe closing your eyes, tuning in, connecting in. But for me, I can connect into so many different nature portals wherever I am. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to acknowledge that can, can, and I believe is, is really vital to happen for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that elemental signature that is your DNA is something that's in all of us, even though we might not all be supercharged in it the way that you are. And that's partly why you do what you do for, for those who want to connect into it more. Um, but it's so true. And it, it's just focus because yeah. as you said, you know, you might need to close your eyes, you know, wherever you are right now, listening or watching, as you said, we're all on the earth sure. and we have the sky above us. And whether oh, you can absolutely. see that right now or not, you can actually feel it if you just shift your shift your attention toward it. So, yeah. And I think you can, you know, you can imagine, you know, being in a, in a deep forest and like 
really being able to sort of tune into the elfin and the dragon and all that energy. Like it's, it's really, you're able to feel it there. But if you can visualize, you can also tune into it. And they're super happy to collaborate with you. Yeah. And it was funny because when you were talking, you know, one of the things when I used to, I'm, I'm much hardier now at knowing how to manage my energy in cities and knowing what I need. Mm. But back in the day, like going back a decade or so, um, when I would go and do like workshops in New York, if I could get to Central Park, I could I could survive because I enjoyed New York, but I could only take so much of it without needing to drink some water, aka Central Park. And um, I remember just as you were talking, I was like, oh God, you brought back a memory. I mm. went to... Denver for the weekend when I was living in Boulder about seven years ago because I thought I needed some life. You know, I was living a quiet life on the side of a beautiful mount, you know, kind of foothill that I would hike all the time. And I thought I need some life. And I ended up going to the D Denver Botanical Gardens, which I'd yeah. never been to every day, like three days in a row of like all every day I was there, I just walked 20 minutes there again because it just pulled me like a gravitational force. But it was the way I was able to balance the stimulation of the city, which I just wasn't used to at that point, even though I, I was craving it in some mm. ways. So I, I so get what you're saying. So, Mariam, I have a final question for you. Yes. I think, you know, in the year of 2020, which will be one for the record books, um, <laughs> um, you know, you and I had a chat about this a few weeks ago when we spoke personally. Um, it's interesting the kind of surfing you have to do in a time like this because you have to surf the waves and the waves can be extreme and the waves can be your own and they can be the frequencies on the planet and they can also, more importantly, often be the stories that are being told yeah. by individuals, by systems, by governments and, and how true or untrue those stories are. So because it's like a chaotic soup mm. and because you know, I think a lot of people watching this will be in tune with that. What are you excited about yeah. in the next two or three years? Like, what do you feel mm -hmm. or sense or, or kind of celebrate? Because there's a lot going on that's intense and that's yeah. painful, difficult, uncomfortable. Okay, cool. Let's put that on the left for a second. What are you excited about, about the years to come and what we're birthing? So much. <laughs> so, so excited. Um, I mean, there's a part of me that is excited because it's like it's here, right? There's been a lot of like, you know, is it is it time? Is it time for the planetary awakening? Are we really doing it? Or, no, we're not doing it. Okay. Oh no, we're not. Just, and then I remember when this all started unfolding, and I said, "Is it? Is it really now?" All, all that we've been preparing for, many lifetimes even of, of uh, training in preparation to be here now for this time. Mm. I mean, I'm like, let's go, right? Like, so, so I'm just excited for that, you know, in and of itself. Um, that doesn't obviously take away from the fact that we have a lot of work to do, right? Um, however, I'm really excited for people to come online. Um, of course, that's a big thing for me is people coming online and waking up and saying, oh, I'm on earth and I have these gifts and I, I, I plan to be here in service and I plan to show up.
to offer what I know and to step into that role. I'm so excited for that. And I'm so excited for um, those people to find the other people that they have those divine appointments with to start to do that work together because it does transform everything when you start to align with the people that you made those agreements with. For me personally, um, I feel very excited with the idea of starting to create communities that are more rooted in collaboration and um, working as earth stewards and working in service. I'm excited about the more people I see growing their own food, Mm. getting back to um, not just getting back to being in nature, but getting back to being self-sufficient and and what that looks like and barter systems of, I have all these zucchini, but you have all these, you're really good at growing blueberries. Um, You know, I, I feel like what I understand is that there are certain people whose role is here to deconstruct the old, you know, whether we want to call them system busters. And then there's people who are the way showers. There's the visionaries that are here to really um, bring in under like an understanding of like what the new is and really hold that vision. I'm really excited for people to know their role and then not feel compelled to be pulled into, you know, being a fish in a tree, right? Um, that, that kind of metaphor. Because when ev- if everyone was doing what they're here to do and what they're organically um, resourced to do, it's going to be a whole different system. And I think what I always recommend for people is we can't just deconstruct. We can't just break down. We have mm-hmm. to know what we're going to be putting in place. That's a very fundamental principle in anyone that does energy work is that when you clear out something, you have to fill that with something, whether it be your own authentic energy, with compassion, with um, deep earth energy, cosmic energy, whatever that is, we have to understand that we do live in a system where there are natural and metaphysical laws that are the undercurrent for how everything functions. So I'm excited for people to start to remember that You know, that there are laws that are so much bigger than the oversimplified sort of law of attraction, you know, tropes that exist. There's so much more complexity and richness to understanding these principles and how they orchestrate this reality and how we all have the ability to inform, right, what we're co-creating and just for people to really be in their power. Beautiful, beautiful. And I have a quote from you here that kind of links into that a little bit. Your home is an extension of your energy field. This is why practices like cleaning your home, rearranging furniture, organizing your closet, and getting rid of objects that are cluttering your space can have a profound impact on your own mind, body, and spirit. So for me, like the, the decluttering and the clearing out and the purging and the everything that's going on right now is going to have a profound impact on our collective mind, body, and spirit. So I'm very grateful to you for what you do and for coming and having this conversation with us today. 
Yeah. And um, and for the for the beautiful work that you do in the world and the way that you show up, the no BS, uh, this is who I am and I'm very happy to be me yeah. way that so many of us weren't born with, right? <laughs> so. We're not born with it and I'm so happy I get to be me this lifetime. And I just wish that for everyone um, to discover for themselves what that means without being needing to be told by other people who they're supposed to be. For me, that is liberation work. Um, it's the highest work that I think that I know. Um, so I'm holding one template of that. You're holding another template of that. I love the rehabbing from new age, so important. And I just hope that everyone finds the template that works for them. And I'm so thankful to be in community with you and with Steven and to have you as part of my greater family, and also to have you as a guest on my community very soon. Yay, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that will be awesome. So for anybody who is new to Mariam, Mariam, the best place, we will put all the links uh, beneath beneath the show and in the show notes if you're listening or watching. But Mariam, because you have multiple platforms, yeah. where would you where would you like people who are new to you to go first? Um, my primary website, it's mariamhasna.com. Great. And and also all the links there for the various platforms are, are on Marion. Everything else. That's the portal for everything yeah. else that yeah. you're looking for. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us today. Big, big love, my friend. And um, yeah. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com. In 2018, I launched a course called Empaths vs. Narcissists, a power dynamic and how to recover from it. It's a video course and it's designed to support you to recover from any kind of relationship where you have given your power away. It's interesting because narcissism has been this big topic and I think it's very easy for any of us to just point the finger and label people. And it's also very complicated. You know, at any particular moment, we can all have narcissistic tendencies or behave empathically. Why I created this course is time and time again, I was meeting and working with so many people who had got themselves quite entangled into this unhealthy dynamic and had come out of it, didn't know how to recover from it, didn't quite know what had happened to them, but also didn't know what to rebuild in themselves in order to avoid walking back into it in the future. And I certainly had my own experiences around this. So the course is born of personal experience, my experience of working with one-on-one -on -one clients and groups around the world for several years on this topic. And it's delivered via video, audio, worksheets. And for 2020, we are launching again this fall in September, and it will be open for just over a month that you can enroll because we like to support the course live. So as each piece is delivered over the two months, me and my team can support you as you go through the process. There are also some bonus interviews that I'm adding this year with people who have particular expertise and experience around this dynamic. 
It's the most healing course that I offer and have offered and it has been very acclaimed by the students who have gone through it so far. So we're really looking forward to opening the doors again. It's a touchy subject, you know, it's not the most fun thing to, to, to look at or to visit in yourself, but the results can be profound when you figure out how you got yourself into giving your power away in the first place, how to recover from the fact that you did it, and then how to avoid doing it again in the future. So I hope you'll join us for Empaths vs. Narcissists 2020. You can visit empathsversusnarcissists.com to find out more details about the full course.